Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. And Jonathan Siegley here with Rob Harrington and Sherelle McMillan talking about the NCAA decision that came down last Friday. Guys, just want to open this up with your general thoughts on the decision itself. Rob, going to start with you. When you saw at about 10, 15, thereabouts a.m., when the first tweets were coming out, what the NCAA decision was going to be, what were your immediate thoughts at that time? Well, it's funny because I had not really considered the possibility that they would get nothing. You know, I'd, I'd sort of run through various permutations in my head, like, okay, here's what the, here's how I would respond to a postseason ban versus banners coming down versus scholarship reductions. I didn't really take seriously the possibility that nothing would happen, that the NCAA essentially, well, actually would concede that they didn't have a case. So my immediate thoughts were, you know, A, I'm shocked by this outcome. And then I'd say over the next five minutes, probably my reaction was, wait, is this really over? You know, we, we go all the way back to 2010 with this stuff. I mean, I was a much younger man than we all were. And to think that, okay, well, just like that, this whole thing finally goes away. It, it still hasn't fully sunk in, to be honest. In the same way, it was the initial shock of just that there were going to be no penalties. And then, yeah, the relief is what I felt, it just knowing there's finality now. But definitely going into Friday morning, I was doing my own little research on, all right, when can Carolina file the appeal? How long is that going to take? just preparing for that scenario. Rel, what about you? What was your mindset uh, when you saw that Carolina was going to receive no penalties from the NCAA? Well, the first thing, honestly, was that we did all this prep work for, you know, North Carolina receiving penalties. So we were prepared with, you know, a story from recruits about, you know, what they were thinking, a story from targets about what they were thinking. So it was kind of like, wow, so we, we don't have to do anything. <laughs> that was the first thought. I and mean, then it was just really surprised, as Rob said, that, you know, you could see that North Carolina definitely had a case and you knew that the way the facts were that in a ordinary setting that probably North Carolina would have won and, and wouldn't have had any penalties, but the NCAA is not a regular setting. It's not a court. So there was just that, I, I guess, wonderment about exactly how far they would take it, whether it'd be, you know, they're going to make an example of North Carolina, whether it would be something in line with kind of previous cases or the third possibility, which again, I, I never thought in a thousand years would happen, which is that they did not find or could not conclude that there were NCAA violations that occurred. So it, it was surprising and it really changed the scope of our Friday and really um, moving forward of how we cover basketball recruiting, to be honest. How many work hours did you lose going into Friday morning then, Rel? 
Well, not as many. It, so you, you asked the question. I'm going to take it the other way. So a, a few, but not nearly as many as Greg, who by all accounts from everyone who really understands this was the prominent voice and the prominent objective voice in the NCAA, the entire deal, all seven years. As far as I know, he's the only one who covered North Carolina continuously all seven years. He's the only one who took the time to read NCAA bylaws and look at precedent. And he put out some really tremendous articles over the last seven years. So I'm going to take that question and use it as a chance to say Greg is awesome and that he did a great job with the entire NCAA investigation, being objective, being fair, and writing what was actually happening. Definitely agree with that. Greg's coverage of the NCAA investigation is unparalleled as far as I'm concerned. But I also wanted to talk about how I think the expectations were amongst Carolina fans. I know personally I was expecting a long, drawn-out fight with the NCAA involving the NCAA Appeals Committee and then possibly a federal lawsuit after that. Rob, how did you see this one potentially playing out in the end? I thought in the end assuming it had gone to appeal and had gone past the appeal into litigation, they would have a better than 50% chance of winning at trial or in however far up it went in the court system. I I thought they probably had a stronger case, but people acting like it was a slam dunk. I just, I don't think that you can make those kinds of assumptions. You just don't know. But the certainty would have been that assuming they would have gotten past the pleadings, which I don't think would have been a problem. At that point, the NCAA would have had to undergo discovery and i think the ncaa especially right now and i know this is not our topic for today but with the fbi stuff happening as well i think the ncaa wants as little of its dirty laundry publicized as possible and it may not have impacted the thought process you know and basically conceding but i think it probably would have compelled them to negotiate on much friendlier terms than they may have been inclined to otherwise, because I don't think that, you know, Carolina at that point had had a full body search and they had opened up everything. The NCAA had done nothing. And to see the internal emails and other kinds of communications that went into the decision to issue several different notices of allegation or however you want to describe that, those kinds of conversations via email, especially would have been really interesting. And I think probably they're okay with that not coming out. Yeah, that would have been interesting to say the least to see how the NCAA discusses cases behind the scenes. So then turning to the future, Carolina has had this cloud hanging over them for seven years. I know basketball hasn't been implicated for that entire time, but nevertheless, it was always something that we've heard Carolina coaches have had to deal with. So Sherelle, going to go for you on this one. What do you think the next steps are for Carolina moving forward now that they have something they can show to recruits that says, look, all the, that negative stuff that you may have heard, it's not happening. This is over with. Yeah, so Roe Williams is definitely nearing the end of his career. You know, he's 68 years old, and he said he wants to coach for five to seven years, but he kind of says that every year. He says five or seven more years, but eventually Roe Williams is going to retire. And I think what it does for North Carolina is it gives him, as he's in the twilight of his career, kind of a chance to really ramp things up uh, recruiting-wise because, uh, and we'll talk about this in the weekly scoop, um, as a staff, we've talked about it, me, Rob, Ben, Sean, uh, the entire basketball staff, some of the things that were in the way or that people told you were in the way for North Carolina really going on a final tear in recruiting with Roe Williams, most of them are out of the way now. The FBI investigation is taking away some of the 
unrecruitable kids that North Carolina, you know, really couldn't talk to. The NCA has been looming over this for, you know, since the class of 2013, 14. I remember Isaiah Hicks asking about it. I remember Joel Berry, Theo Pinson, and Justin Jackson asking about it. So it's been here for a long time. That's gone now. Of course, everybody knows about Brandon Ingram and some of the things that he said. There are other players at other major schools who wouldn't even visit North Carolina because of the NCAA stuff. Um, and then they just signed or have committed a top 10 player. So three of the things that were really in the way from them taking off and recruiting again are gone all in a three-week span. So I, I think moving forward, you'll see them be very aggressive, maybe with players that they might not have talked to before because either they were, you know, quote unquote, too good for North Carolina, didn't want to go to North Carolina because they hadn't had one and done in forever. I, I think you'll just see a lot of aggression in how North Carolina recruits. And I don't think you'll see them wait on guys as long as they used to anymore either because they don't have to because they can look at different players with all this stuff over now. Rob, same question to you. What do you see Carolina doing now that this can be put behind them? I think some of that will uh, continue to reveal itself. I mean, first of all, on the NCAA stuff, Sherelle certainly is the person who would know best about that. I have thought that it really impacted the class of 2015. That was the one that came on the heels of the Weinstein, Weinstein, and uh, you know the, all the McCant stuff as well. And I think for that reason, you know they they really did take it on the chin that class. Now afterwards, I think on other occasions it has had less of an impact. At least I have had that impression at times the past couple of years. Players weren't paying that much attention to it. They had their own agendas to consider. I think the FBI could actually be more influential because if they become sort of a safe harbor, you know, if if you're a player and you're like, listen, I'm only going to do this for one year anyway, the last thing I want is to invite some kind of persecution that I don't need. The irony is that I think a lot of players have made college decisions on a, a less college oriented basis, you know, over the past seven or eight years, meaning they're not thinking about the college experience as much. They're not thinking about what they may, accomplish there as much not that they're not competitive I and mean, they go to win but i think they have taken it less seriously in a way now i think you know and that's hurt carolina because roy williams has continued this lineage of dean smith and you know, college basketball really means something now i think carolina actually could benefit this is the irony from the fact that a lot of these other programs are getting in trouble because it's like well hey even if i have concerns about the lack of a one and done track record recently, uh, or maybe they still prefer to play inside out and everyone now wants to play on the perimeter because it's not as important because I'm only going to be there one year. They actually could get a little bit of a springboard effect. It's interesting to me and we'll see how it plays out. There certainly are many more dynamics in play already having a Nasir little, you know, gives them that player they've been missing for some years now. So it, they've already turned the corner, I think. But usually what happens in these situations is if you can if you can just break through the ceiling, roof ceiling, then all of a sudden the you know the, the water begins to flow. And so it wouldn't surprise me if they get really, really hot here to round out Roy Williams' career. We'll see, but I think it's possible. You brought up a very interesting point there, Rob, with talking about the fact that now Carolina can tell these recruits that, hey, we're cleared and we've undergone basically the most thorough investigation I think the NCAA has probably ever done. So that's a very good point that Carolina is going to be able to to tell these kids, you know, yeah, if you do want to come to a program that's been proven clean, you can come here. 
So, Rel, do you have any thoughts on that? Like, just do you, do you think that, that might be a, another arrow that Carolina has in its quiver now when they're going out and talking with these kids? Oh, yeah, definitely. I don't know that it'll necessarily they'll get the players because of that specific reason. But I think there are maybe some players who say, oh, I need to make sure that, you know, my recruitment looks like it's on the up and up. Not saying that it's not on the up and up, but they definitely want that appearance. And they know that there are certain schools, you know, North Carolina, Michigan State, um, you know, most of them who don't have that reputation. And I think you might see at first, there might be just some cursory visits just kind of on there to be there, like window dressing. But like a car salesman, if you get them on the lot, you might be able to sell them a car. And I think it's the same thing with North Carolina. They do official visits very well. And one of the things that Roe Williams talked about extensively over the last few years is that he couldn't even get you know, players to come on campus and take official visits. And if they move from not getting those top guys to come on campus to getting them on campus, then eventually that'll help them land you know, maybe a couple more over the years. And then Rob, what are your general thoughts at the end of the day with this one, did, did the NCAA, in your opinion, come to the correct conclusion in saying that they had, did not have the jurisdiction, in a sense, and not leveling any penalties? Absolutely. I, I never thought that they had any business steering the case the way that they did. And they, you know, they whatever else people would say, and there were so many misconceptions about it, the NCAA has the power vested in it by its member institutions not anything beyond that. And that means they have to operate according to their own bylaws. And the bylaws did not accommodate the allegations they had made against UNC and the way that they tried to cook it into something that they could adjudicate was nonsense. That doesn't mean that morally Carolina got those classes right. I mean, certainly I think the university has flogged itself in public repeatedly for years. We don't need to do it again here. But in terms of it being an NCAA issue, it just wasn't. And so you, what you see from a lot of sports writers and rival fans and, and impartial fans is that, well, how do they get away with this? You know, it's wrong, therefore it should be punished. They are looking for the NCAA to be a moral arbiter. And they, the NCAA just doesn't have that kind of power. It was designed not to have that kind of power. This isn't new. I mean, they, this is exactly how all the system schools wanted it to be. So absolutely, they eventually got it right. But the other thing I would add, I mean, we say that, okay, well, Carolina got nothing. I mean, that that was only as of the Friday when the decision came in. They had been punished continuously since, since at least 2014, if you want to look at it that way. Really going back to 2010, they've been under this cloud. And it wouldn't surprise me if that was part of the approach. Maybe the NCAA knew all along that this wasn't something that they would like to see go to litigation. But morally they could punish on the basis of just dragging it out making the university spend a ton of money hurting recruiting you know i know that's a very cynical thing to say but it, i also think it's plausible i mean i think that there was at least some impact i mean rail mentioned early on that roy williams himself has talked about it rail's very very knowledgeable on that so i mean yeah i think it is a little bit disingenuous to say that carolina suffered nothing from this when the fact that they did have this obstacle over the last four years in basketball and then going back to 2010 just kind of in general so rel to get your your final thoughts man just go ahead and, and let us know really what you thought about them coming to this conclusion if you think they got it right you know, I'll I'll leave that for the litigators as far as whether or not they get it right or not. I, I will say that I do think North Carolina in general, 
you know, not now, but I think they have been embarrassed, you know, in, in public for seven years. This has been a very public thing from the moment Greg Barnes broke the story. I think it was July 15th, 2010, through all the other, you know, the Butch Davis getting fired and Chancellor Thorpe being gone and Dick Bedore being gone and all these other people losing their jobs. You know, North Carolina has changed tremendously during this time. They've built in fail safes. They've changed how they do things. They've added beefed up, you know, compliance. They beefed up student athlete development. They beefed up everything, really, because, you know, this can't happen again. You know, it, it wasn't a widespread thing that infected the entire campus. But I think a lot of people, especially a lot of alums, do feel that, you know, well, like, wow, that really happened at the place where I went to school. And because of how it was treated in the media, that's what turned the fans into very defensive. And that's why there was that kind of catharsis moment <laughs> on Friday when you just saw Carolina fans just kind of, you think they won the national championship again, the way people were acting, because it was such a long ordeal. And I think the negative press really fed into that. So the good thing is that it's over. North Carolina is going to have to carry that reputation, that, that kind of scarlet letter for a long time. There are still people who call Florida State Free Shoes You for something that happened almost 20 years ago. And it didn't drag out in public in the air of social media for seven years. So it's going to be something that North Carolina deals with and has to come to grip with for a long, long time. The various <laughs> names that people call North Carolina now, I won't say them on the podcast. That's going to be around. That stuff is not going away. Carolina fans are going to have to learn to live with it. but the NCAA is gone and North Carolina can move on and, and, you know, improve. You can't really improve in basketball after you win an national championship, but continue to be dominant in basketball and improve in football. And I think they'll do that. Well, Hey, at the end of the day, rival fans can say whatever they want, but Carolina does have that piece of paper from the NCAA that says no penalties. And I don't know about everyone else, but that's really all I care about. And John, yeah. one one more thing, I hate to interrupt, but oh, um, I, I do think it gives Roy Williams, whether or not he actually knew or whether or not, you know, it was just kind of a lucky coincidence, it gives him added credibility because he's been telling recruits for five years that basketball wasn't involved, basketball can't be punished, everything's going to be fine. I mean, he's told people that all the way back to Justin Jackson when he was recruiting him in 2013. So I think it's going to give him added credibility with some of these players. They really, really are going to say, man, this guy knows what he's talking about. He tells me the truth, and that's going to help him in recruiting as well. Rob, do you have anything to say on that one real quick? I think Shrell covered all the key points there. I mean, I think that you know, Carolina, as he mentioned, is going to suffer at the hands of rivals for a long time. People are just, hopefully by now, they would already have developed thick skin. I think more interestingly to me is, with the decision on Friday, is it still just sort of settling in over the fan base and the university community? Will Carolina's approach, which has been pilloried by people internal, you know, a lot of the fans have been critical, very critical for a long time. Will that now vindicate the approach that, you know what, we we were wrong. We opened ourselves up to scrutiny. We looked for everything. And the, at the end of all that, you know, they certainly were not vindicated in terms of the classes, but you know, as the next scandal comes through, it wouldn't surprise me if someone writes at that time, you know, well, when North Carolina had this happen, they went all out to try to get to the bottom of it. And, you know, school X is trying to hide everything. I'm not predicting that's going to happen anytime real soon, but I do wonder at least internally, if the, the fans now will be a little bit more generous to, you know, not just the, the current regime, but the former one that was trying to figure out what was happening and something that was shocking to so many people. That's the other big time point. I mean, Carolina never really tried to say that these classes weren't easy. 
I mean, I think the data showed that, but there's a big time difference between an easy class and a fraudulent class. And these classes were not fraudulent. And that's what the NCAA said. And the NCAA said, we just don't have the grounds here anyways. So at the end of the day, it's over with. Carolina can move forward. And Rob, we'll definitely be talking with you more so later on. Drop a little teaser here regarding the FBI stuff. You know, if there's a new round of indictments coming out, want to get you on here to talk about those. So for everyone listening in, just keep your eyes peeled and we'll get that topic covered in the future. And we're going to go ahead and take our commercial break. When we come back, I'm going to have Mike Ingersoll on to provide his insight with what it was like to be a player when the NCAA first started their investigation and his thoughts on the entire process in general. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. And we're back. I'm joined now by Mike Ingersoll. With the big decision from the NCAA that came down on Friday, Mike, wanted to get your thoughts on this. You were here in 2010 when the investigation first began. So to start this one off, and I'm sure we'll cover a bunch of topics during the next 10, 15 minutes here, but what was your initial reaction back in 2010? Well, I mean, to stop short of giving an oral history of the NCAA investigation, really, Going into the 2010 season, that was the impermissible benefits prong of this. And we didn't really understand what was what, what we'd gotten ourselves into and, and what the NCAA had dragged us into. You know, I, I say that a little cheeky because, I, you know, it, everybody always – everyone likes to say whenever they get investigated, well, everybody's doing it. And, you know, what we're doing is not that bad, this, that, and the other. But, I mean, I can tell you from, from personal experience, I mean, uh, being there, Whatever it was the NCAA was accusing us of, was, we weren't, it wasn't nearly as bad as it got portrayed in the media and as it got portrayed by the NCAA. There was very little of anything actually going on. So we were all really shocked, especially when we saw bodies starting to drop and guys getting held out because there was suspicion that they might have maybe done something sort of, but we don't know. And we were having to hold guys out of games and hold guys out for a bulk of the season because there was suspicion they maybe might have done something. And if it turned out they did after the NCAA took six or seven weeks to look into it, you know, we were gonna have to forfeit whatever games they played in. So from a player standpoint, I mean, I remember in a team meeting, Ed Barham shot his hand up and cause coach Davis asks, you know, well, you know, what would you guys have us do? You know, what are you, what, what's the team's thoughts on all this? This was, you know, this was probably uh, a week before LSU. And the picture was becoming a little clear at that point that we were going to be missing a lot of guys. And I remember Ed shot his hand up in the team meeting and he said, coach, the hell with it, man. Just play everybody. 
because we knew how good we were. We knew that if we played at full strength and we played well every week, we'd have a chance to go undefeated, maybe play for a national championship. Uh, we knew we were that good, and our expectations were that high. And for good reason. There was a lot of talent on that team. And we felt like we certainly are, we certainly were on the upswing. So, you know, Ed's position was let's play everybody. They can't take away the rings. You know, if, if we do happen to win the national championship, they're not going to be able to stop us this season. They can say it never happened, but we'll all have rings from it and everybody will have the memories from it and everybody will know that it happened. You know, you can sit here and say that, you know, USC didn't win all those games with Reggie Bush, but, you know, everyone knows they did. You saw it on TV. They were unbelievable. So um, that was our position back then with the impermissible benefits prong. When we found out they were going to go back in and look at the academic side of things, we didn't really understand that either because it felt like, well, for one, from a player standpoint, I mean, understanding back then at, you know, 21 years old, 22 years old, having only a cursory understanding of the NCAA rulebook and NCAA guidelines, we knew that they dealt with athletics, not academics. That seemed common. That seemed like common sense. It's the National Collegiate Athletic Association, not Academic and Athletic Association. So we didn't really understand why they were digging around in the academic side of things, but we also knew it wasn't going to be good because it seemed like a witch hunt. And we were basing that off of, like I was telling you before, guys getting held out for suspicion that something might have happened. And then it would come out six, seven weeks later, they were clean. You know, they get a clean bill of health. They didn't do anything wrong. They can play. Well, at that point, guys like Ryan Houston had already missed half the season and they just took their red shirt if they didn't redshirt as true freshmen. And for a guy like Ryan, it cost him maybe millions of dollars. He was a projected third round pick going into, the, going into our senior year. He redshirted, came back in 2011. Turns out Gio Bernard was the man, and we didn't really need Ryan as much, and he didn't get as many carries and wasn't as productive. Ended up never having that NFL career. So we based our suspicions and our fears off of that because it seemed like the NCAA wanted to drag its feet and make an example out of us based on, I remember Cam, Cam Newton and Auburn, when they got cleared, we were all sitting at lunch. Me and Kevin Reddick and a few guys were sitting at the lunch table, and ESPN, the ESPN ticker had – a headline, you know, Auburn is cleared of all wrongdoing. NCAA reinstates Cam Newton. And we all looked at each other like, when was Cam ever not eligible? Like it happened, it happened, I think only took 23 hours to do the entire investigation at Auburn. And for us, we had guys sitting out weeks. So we knew the academic thing was going to be hairy. And uh, we, we did, I didn't realize how long this was going to, this was going to go on, but it seemed, seemed pretty egregious on the part of Mark Emmert and the committee on infractions and to take that long and to try and drag the program, you know, by its hair for as long as they did. I, it honestly was unprofessional. Yeah. I mean, you're talking a seven years basically is how long the university has had this hanging over its head. It impacts recruiting. It impacts just the players on the team, I would imagine. So what was it like to, or what have you heard to the impact that it had on the team and the program in general knowing that the NCAA is out there, they're just dragging this on year after year. The coaches are having to recruit. There's negative recruiting going on constantly. What was your take on how that could have impacted the program? Well, for the players back starting in 2010, and I imagine this continued, we were constantly concerned. Every, I mean, it wasn't even weekly. It was daily. Who are we going to lose today? Who's the NCAA going to come in and say can't play today? Who are they going to come in and say they can't go to the bowl game? I mean, the NCAA was doing stuff like back in when we played the Music City Bowl, we played against Tennessee. I remember walking in. I mean, Greg won't have a problem me telling the story. 
I walked in the training room. Those of you remember, Greg Ellaby played guard for us, defensive tackle also. He was kind of like Khalil Rogers, but Greg was a really good player. And he tore his ACL against, I believe it, well, I, I, I can't even speculate. I can't remember. Maybe ECU. Somebody cracked back on him and cut him instead of just blowing up his shoulder and blew out his knee. So Greg was out for the year. And I remember walking in the training room a few days before we were leaving to go to Nashville to go to the bowl game. And he says, well, Mike, have fun at the bowl and I'm you know I won't be going I'm like oh you're gonna stay here and do rehab he goes well no the NCAA says I can't go and I asked him what, what are you talking about and he said well the NCAA dug up some paper from 2008 and I don't even remember writing it they said that I had a sentence that was misplaced and it sounded a lot like the Devin Ramsey situation for those of you who are aware of the Devin Ramsey situation but basically it was his tutor had made some grammatical corrections and he accepted those in track changes on his, on his word document. He accepted the, the changes that they were able to, and they were able to track all this through metadata. And because he accepted her suggestions, he was ruled ineligible and he couldn't travel to the bowl game as a senior with an ACL injury and he couldn't even play. So it was stuff like that. I mean, they were, they were nabbing guys left and right. And I'm sure that, those sentiments continued, those fears continued, especially in the 2011, 2012, when he still had players on the team from that Butch Davis class, from that Butch Davis era, you know, that were there in 2010, that were around when all this, you know, some guys who benefited from it, guys like Trey Boss and Jabari Price, who had to play as Drew Freshman, that otherwise probably wouldn't have played outside of special teams that year. You know, those guys were, they were around the program, they were there, they were impacted by the initial investigation. But I think what really probably affected the players more than anything was we talk about how it was a seven-year span and all this and there was actually a break in there which now it all looks like one big blob of time but there was a break that that impermissible benefits and academic investigation ended going into the 2011 season that's you'll everyone remember butch got cleared and then seven days before training camp after he was cleared that's when chancellor thorpe decided that it was best to terminate his contract and we had Everett Withers, obviously, and the staff remained intact, and Ev came in and did a great job as an interim head coach. But the university then, shortly thereafter, reopened the investigation and called up the NCAA and said, hey, we think there might be something else going on here. We want you to come and check it out, which I guess if you know, you're straight-laced by the book, you, know, you want to do everything cleanly and correctly, you know, it, I'm falling short of using the goody two-shoes phrase, right? <laughs> but unless you're that type of person, inviting the wolf back into the hen house makes absolutely no sense. So there was a break there. It was over, and the university brought it back. So the last five and a half years, Carolina's got itself to blame for that. The investigation was over, and they wanted the NCAA to come back in because, call it naivety, all right? The school just did not understand how to deal with the NCA. You don't let them in. Now, and and I say this, you know, we talk about the NCAA also. This is a side note. We talk about the NCAA as this, like this figure, like it is this governing body. It's this organization that exists distinct from the universities. It's not. The NCAA is the universities. And we lose track of that a lot, especially in the rhetoric that's flying around in the media right now. We, you know, we call it the NCA versus the schools. Well, the, the schools are the NCA and the NCA is the schools. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic when university brings in the governing body that it promotes and that it supports and that it lobbies to be a part of, right? 
brings them in, and then all of a sudden realizes, oh, we made a terrible mistake, and then they start fighting that same organization that they brought in. It seems like you're kind of punching yourself in the face a little bit. That's what the last five and a half years kind of has has seemed like logically. But it's 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 been a it's been a nightmare. And you mentioned negative recruiting. Sometimes that stuff is more powerful than you know positive affirmative recruiting regarding your own school. So if we have a some of these schools that we you know recruit hard against, and I'll, I'll name you know Virginia Tech, Tennessee, Georgia, and I don't know if those schools and those coaching staffs were recruiting negatively against us, using the NCAA against us on the recruiting trail, but just using them as an example of programs that we recruit directly against every year for guys. You know, if I'm, if I'm the coach at one of those schools, maybe saying, well, you know, instead of, instead of trying to build up my own program saying, well, I know that North Carolina is my biggest competitor. So I start bad mouthing North Carolina to this, to a recruit that, you know, has got it down between UNC and my school, that negative recruiting of, well, you know, you can go there, but you don't know what's going to happen. Are you going to be able to go, go to a bowl game? Are you going to be eligible? Are wins going to get stripped? Will they get the death penalty, which is the most ridiculous line I've heard throughout this whole thing, people calling for the death penalty. People who call for the death penalty whenever there's an, whenever there's an NCAA issue have absolutely no idea what it is. The NCAA will never, ever, ever, ever hand down the death penalty after what happened at SMU. They'll never do it again. But that's you throw that out there and that scares kids. Yeah, definitely agree with that. And also Greg Ellerby, Mike, he did tear his ACL against ECU in 2010. So you were correct on that. Yeah, I, was, I couldn't remember which game that was, but I knew what happened. It was ECU. So yeah. to go ahead and, and wrap this one up, Mike, I'm going to just kind of leave this open for you for the last you know two, three, five minutes, however long. But just go ahead and finish it off with your thoughts in general. And we'll... And after this, well, it's, I mean, I don't have much to say that hasn't already been said. I mean, if you've been following the media, I mean, we've had our own people have weighed in on this and will weigh on this in the coming days. They haven't, you know, it boils down to the NCAA just didn't have jurisdiction and they were, they were out of bounds in this entire investigation. And they knew that from the start. And it was really just a, they caved to media pressure to come back in and really hammer Carolina. Now we made it easy on them because we opened the doors and we let them walk right back in. We actually invited them in, which was foolish. And I hope that Carolina has now learned that for a very long time, and fans might not like hearing this, but it is the truth, okay? Carolina, the University of North Carolina, has always had a holier-than-thou air about it. And that's why other fan bases hate us so much. You know, that's why we get the wine and cheese crowd type of knocks, and that's why we get the holier-than-thou uh, athletics department kind of knocks because we've always held our he- ourselves in high esteem and we should because for as long as we can remember the Carolina way mattered it was a calling for you know it was our calling card it was a mantra that the university bought into and and it was the way we did things and we thought we were all doing things the right way well I hope Carolina realized that if you're going to run a major athletics department and have a world-class athletics department program like we have with being as good as at as many sports across the board as we are. No one is immune from this. You've got young kids in a system that, and this is a whole different conversation for a whole different day. You've got young kids, especially in the revenue sports, all right, that are coming in and they're generating a lot of money for you. Okay. And there's, they're not getting much in return other than their scholarship, which, you know, that's an unpopular view for a lot of people. We'll debate that another day, but I've got plenty of support for that position. They don't have much coming back their way in terms of value. So 
they might not be seeking it out elsewhere, but it's going to seek them out. It's going to find them, and there's going to be temptation, and they're going to do things that are going to be in violation of NCAA bylaws in terms of impermissible benefits and things like that. And just because you have Carolina Blue on your chest doesn't make you immune from that happening in your school. And I hope Carolina learned a lesson here that the NCAA is not your friend. The organization that you've elected to be a part of and you've elected to be the governing body for all of your interscholastic athletics and to run your your championships, they are not your friend. They are not out to help you. They do not have your best interest at heart, and they certainly don't have the athlete's best interest at heart. I don't care what their mission statement says. They have made a lot of mistakes as of late that is the NCAA. They're going to continue to fumble and fall all over themselves and trip every third step they take. It's just, it's a bumbling organization right now and it needs revamping. And I hope that after this FBI probe, that will happen. But from Carolina's standpoint, I hope the school learned that no matter how squeaky clean we might think we are, if you invite them in, they will find something. Things were not that bad here. We were pretty squeaky clean compared to most of the programs that I know guys that played in. But if you let them come in, and the NCAA has an axe to grind, and they're trying to make an example out of somebody. They're going to find what they want to find. And if, they're not gonna, if they don't find it, they're going to drag it out long enough to where it looks like they're at least trying to do their job. And that's what happened here. But I think the NCAA avoided a lawsuit. I think they knew that. If they handed down any sanctions, this was going to end up in court. And typically, lawsuits against the NCAA don't end well for the plaintiff. And that's just because it's you know administrative law. Sport law is administrative law. They're going to be highly deferential to the NCAA's bylaws because it's a voluntary membership organization. But when their application of their own bylaws and their own rules is, this is the standard, is arbitrary and capricious, meaning they've flown off the handle and done something that they haven't even, they haven't even authorized themselves to do in their own bylaws. They're not following their own rules. When that happens, well, then, then the NCAA ends up losing. They look bad. It's what happened in the O'Bannon case. It's, it w- it's what would have happened in this case if there had to be a lawsuit. I think they avoided it for now, and I think they knew that. And that's why the, there, were no, there were no sanctions. It was a five-year show cause for Julius Nongoro. And, I mean, what, is, what does Professor Nongoro care at this point? So <laughs> those are my thoughts. But, uh, yeah, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm very glad it's over. And we can get back to just focusing on sports, and we don't have to deal with that dark cloud and all that negative recruiting. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what the university is able to do moving forward, both on the football side and, and on the basketball side. But I really appreciate you joining me, Mike. Having been a member of the football team during that investigation, definitely wanted to get your view on this. So thanks again, and we'll be back later on the week with another podcast with you and EJ. Yep, thanks, John. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.